Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Eastlake. Glad that you are here this morning. We are on part four and the conclusion uh, of a series we started a few weeks ago called This Beautiful Life. We took a a week break last week. We had a guest speaker, but uh, glad to be back at it. It's been a series. uh, We called it a series on resonance and resonance being those things in our lives that every once in a while we rub up against them and uh, and it just makes kind of life more meaningful or worth living. Uh, it's, it's some book that we read. It's some experience that we had. It's a concert that we went to. It's a, a dinner conversation that we had or whatever. It's pretty unpredictable and unfortunately, often at times unrepeatable. Uh, and it scratches an itch that we didn't know we have. And it reminds us again that this life is worth living. And then the reality sets back in and we go back to the mundanity that is oftentimes characteristic of life, which is uh, work, eat, sleep, uh, repeat, uh, and go on with that. But we look at that and we say in those moments, this, this, this is what I want, man. This is like this. If I could just bottle this up, that's what I want. But it doesn't work like that. And mo- most often uh, than not, it's uh, not only uh, you can't see it in that moment, but it's reflected on only when you look back in life in the rearview mirror of life. It's not this. This is what I want. You never, oftentimes you don't see it in those moments. You look back and be like, that, that is what I, I, I want. That's, I didn't know it then. But I do now that there's something there. There's something that was there that was like, I just, uh, that was an exciting moment or whatever uh, that I I just want to recreate. Or uh, again, it reminds us that life is worth living. C.S. Lewis delivered a message to a church in Oxford over 60 years ago. Uh, and I mentioned at the beginning of the series that this, he, he wrote a book or he had a, it was an essay and then it became a part of a collection of essays. But he, he it was originally a, a text that was delivered to, to a church, to people. And I wanted to do a reinterpretation of that, work through it, process it through it, read it a bunch of times and then, and then do the heavy lifting and then, and then talk through it with you guys under the premise of not 60 years ago, Oxford, England era, but 2023, uh, what it means to live in the Tri-Cities in this, in this time. Um, and uh, the premise of, of the whole thing was essentially this, we should not ignore that feeling. If you've had those things, if you've had ever ever had uh, resonance, points of resonance, don't uh, ignore it, uh, but instead investigate it. And what does that say about us? Here was a quote that unfortunately, char- unfortunately characteristic uh, is characteristic of me a lot of times and perhaps uh, you as well. He says that we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea we are far too easily pleased. And that is a big problem, right? That we oftentimes reflect on our life and be like, I am far too easily pleased. As much as I would hate to say it, far too easily pleased could easily be my Instagram bio. It could easily be the thing I was most known by my kids at at my funeral, right? A beer in a Zags game. I never saw my dad happier. That's what we uh, kind of like enjoy in that moment, but then, you know, look back and be like, could it have been, probably should have been more. So as an antidote, As an antidote to being far too easily pleased, according to Lewis, we all bear a burden or what he calls a weight of glory. And we said that glory came in two parts. It came in the idea of fame 
and luminosity. Fame in that uh, we, we define fame as being known by a lot of people. And, and you can be you can be famous or you can be Tri-Cities famous. And those are two different things we said. And then we said luminosity is this like, this like shining. Like we, we, we realize that glory has these pieces of being known by somebody, but then also having some part to do with sort of uh, a, a beauty thing. Fame is being known, yes, but by whom we said that this glory comes. We have this weight of glory and the fact that Scripture over and over points to us as being known by God, that that is the thing that we would say we pride ourselves in being known by a lot of people and, and really that, that itch that it's scratching for us. When we, when we, what, is that, what is that desire within us? Well, the broader desire that is reflected in that minutia of a desire is that we are known by a creator God. We are known by a God who is uh, the creator of everything in all of this universe. And then this luminosity piece, to shine or to be a part of that which we identify as beautiful. We go around and we see things that are genuinely beautiful, right? Uh, and we go, man, I, and then we, and we go on a hike and we see just nature at its best and we think that. And then we go to our home and we're like, man, it's just not the same. And we, but 10 years ago when we bought it, it was beautiful. It had all the things. And then it kind of slowly eked away, right? All of these things kind of point us towards this idea of wanting to be a part of something that is truly beautiful. Essentially leading to this, what is the weight of glory? What is the weight that we all bear? What is the thing that we can't let go of? What is the thing that points us to the idea that this life is worth living, that we have a high view of humanity or that we should have a high view of humanity? That we are uh, the, the, the apex of the creation. The creation of mankind was the apex of his creation. We are more like our creator than anything else in all of creation. And oftentimes we go through kind of a world or we're on Twitter long enough to read posts about how detrimental humankind is to nature. And it would oftentimes lead us to believe that nature would be a whole lot better off if man were involved and maybe in a way that is factually accurate. But to accept this is to miss out on what Lewis would say is the bigger picture and to miss out on the fact that mankind, human beings were created in the image of God, this idea of imago Dei, such a hugely powerful Thing. That when Jesus one time is talking and discoursing with some of his uh, followers, he, he does something on the Sabbath day, he heals somebody on the Sabbath, and like, you're not supposed to do that. It's an off day. We don't do anything on the Sabbath. What's wrong with you? Don't you know anything? And Jesus turns and reflects to them and says, no, 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 you've got it backwards, guys. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Sabbath's fine. It's great. I encourage you to kind of practice it. But when you when you get your priorities mixed up, when you forget the prioritization, the importance of man, the high view of humanity, the apex of creation, that what you are is created in the image of God, that you are more like you're created than anything else that has been created. Lewis would then go on to say, nature is mortal, we shall outlive her. When all the suns and nebula have passed away, each of you will still be alive. Nature is only the image, the symbol, but it is the symbol scripture invites me to use. We are summoned to pass in through nature beyond her into that splendor which she fully reflects. So in other words, we all, when we look at things and we look at something and we go, that's, that's important, that reflects something bigger and greater. When we go into nature and we see the beauty of nature, we go, that's important. That looks immaculate. That looks incredible. And he's like, yes, it is. But it's only a symbol to point towards something. The fact that you can see that with your eyeballs the fact that your brain registers that as an image that is beautiful, the fact that your skin tingles and you get little goosebumps about all of it, that's, um, that's incredible. That's uh, beautiful. Nature is fantastic and great, but humanity, the human creation, that God was creating all of these things and he looks at him and goes, good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he gets to mankind and he says, it's very 
good. Now, before I get emails from people who are like, you know, whatever, please recycle when you can. You know what I mean? Like, don't participate in illegal dumping, specifically in the dumpsters behind our theater. We have cameras now. We watch it. Don't do that, right? Um, paying eight cents for plastic bags at checkout can be annoying, but I think we can all get behind the idea of it, right? It all, all of this like stewardship of creation is critically important, and we should be about that big time. Christianity has always had a strong view of stewardship of creation, about being smart, living wisely, and thinking wisely. But there are things and there are people. There are things and there are people. There's a little voice that has to remind me of this when my kids default into their normative behavior of recklessly handling anything expensive or fragile in my home. And by little voice, I don't mean the one that sits on my right shoulder trying to speak louder than the bad angel on my left shoulder. I mean that little voice that's about 5'9", blonde, who wears a wedding band that I bought for her 18 years ago. That's the little voice. Because the other day, I went to go print something out on our printer, and there's a big giant line that goes right down our printer, and it's been there forever, and I thought to myself, how is this, what is going on? So I bought a new drum thing for our home printer, like 30, 40 bucks. I don't know what it was. Amazon shipped it two days later. I got it. I'm like, finally, our printer's going to be fixed. I stick it in there. I swipe the thing across if you've ever installed a drum head printer. I swipe it across and I'm like, this should be great. Now, now, now I get to print off my sermon notes at home instead of, I couldn't because it would have this, re, it would have this line through it. It made it impossible to read. And I go and I click print and out comes a piece of paper with a line directly down the middle. And I think to myself, Amazon absolutely hosed me. I think to myself, this brother printer that I have is completely broken. And Kylie goes, oh no. That's because, Ky, uh, that's because Clive shoved a quarter in there and tried to kind of have a quarter go through the machine back a couple years ago. That's why that's like that. And I think to myself, there are things and then there are people. There are things and then there are people. There are two ways in which we can respond to this high view of humanity or of mankind. We can think, oh man, I must really be something. Right, there are two ways to listen to what I say and talk about the uh, like imago dei is like a, a big deal and and uh, whatever. You'd be like, man, I must read, I must be awesome. You are, and that's true. And the other way to take it is also to be, I must be really careful because I am dealing with awesome people. I must be awesome. You are, yes. And the other way to kind of also also and yes, but is to, I must be very very careful. Lewis again says this. It may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. Hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. Pause it for one second. What's he saying? Like we, we're not super in danger of oftentimes thinking too, not highly enough of ourselves. We're, we tend to be pretty good at that actually, just by nature or whatever. We think pretty highly of ourselves. A talk like today is a good reminder but the greater risk is that we don't think highly enough of our neighbor. The load or the weight or the burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it and the backs of the proud will be broken. He goes on and says this, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and the most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you'd be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. 
all day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or another of these destinations. All day long, we are graciously or ungraciously pushing or pulling people towards one direction or another. Here's what he's saying. Like we, we, we live in this beautiful life. We're so, we scratch these itches and it reminds us like of, of like a deepness of life. And it's because you were created in this way that like you are significant, but not just you. But not just you, everything and everyone that you rub shoulders with and work with and whatever, all of these things point us towards this. And, and, and so when we deal with them and when we talk with them and when we befriend them or when we betray them or when we speak ill of them or great to them uh, or highly of them or whatever, we are in some degree helping each other to one or another of these destinations. And it's here that we get a small glimpse of Lewis's take on the afterlife, that what life is like on the other side of material existence. And again, Lewis isn't scriptural as much as I like to quote him a lot and think incredibly highly of him. Um, we're all guessing at the afterlife, right? So anybody that says they've, they, I, I know exactly what happens, right? Then I have a cousin who like saw the light and like came back and told me about it. I'd be like, so cool, man. Um, I got to go though. You know what I mean? Uh, be careful with that one. But we're all guessing. So his guess is, 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 is and I think it's an informed guess, uh, is that we in, in the afterlife are extensions of ourselves many times over into the nth degree. Uh, in other words, if we uh, live our entire lives with a great sense of bitterness, then the afterlife is just an extension of that. We become, we burn uh, our, with our own, um, our own uh, suffering of the, like allowing this to kind of be the only thing that matters in our lives. It's his best guess, but it's still just a guess, just like you and I have to have a guess at what happens. So according to his guess, if everything that we are, if life is this testing ground to kind of shape us and form us into kind of the habits and the things, the virtues and the, and the vices that we have, and that de- in the afterlife, we are just an extension of that to the nth degree, then we need to begin, take our time every day that we have and every opportunity that we have to leverage our virtues, to ignore our vices at our own peril, and to be very st- careful, strategic, and intentional about how we interact with others. Which leads him to one of the fullness, the like the critical verses or, or the critical text or part of the text for this ending of this message that he delivers 60 years ago about what all of this means. What does this weight of glory mean? Here's what it means. And it's just as relevant 60 years later, guys. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, Civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals who we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or ever at everlasting splendors. That you and I never rub shoulders with ordinary people. That's a pretty interesting take. It's a, it's a, it's a take that I think uh, is, is unique to Christianity in, in, in this building up of this, like this, even this, and somebody, some would even say that's not really unique to Christianity. It's unique to Lewis's text or version of Christianity. I get that, but Lewis is pointing us towards this heightened view of not only ourselves, but other people that this is this life that we deal with. This is all just material. There are things and there are people. And we must be very, very careful. This does not mean, he goes on to say, that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind which exists between people who have, from the outset, 
taking each other very seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. And our charity must be a real and costly love with deep feeling for the sins in spite of which we love the sinner. No mere tolerance or indulgence, which parodies love as flippancy, parodies merriment. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, another name for the Eucharist or communion, Holy Communion, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Next to the blessed sacrament itself. Your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your uh, senses. So all of this reminds me of this incredibly powerful, and that's how, by the way, the text uh, or the essay essentially ends and the the talk ends from from Lewis's standpoint. But I I felt like I wanted to end uh, with our version or our story today of of a time that Jesus is out again talking with his uh, disciples. And and by this time, it's kind of later in his ministry. Matthew records it in chapter 23 which means it's kind of like in the third or fourth dialogue of Jesus' talks. He's already done his thing. He's done the basic introductions. He's got the 12 followers. He's to the point now he's attracted followers and enemies, that people are coming both to love him and to hate him, right? Um, and uh, and to kind of trap him and, and find little things and, and get him to say something he doesn't mean or, or doesn't. he's going to get him in trouble with the authorities or whatever else. So he's got religious people who are uh, offended that the masses are – showing up to listen to him when they never showed up to listen to them. That's the problem that they have with this. And that he kind of circumvented all of the rules of growing up and and doing the rabbi thing in in a a certain way. They didn't like his version of what he was doing. And so he's speaking. And oftentimes when Jesus is, is teaching in these moments, he has this ability to talk to one group while making sure the other group is listening. You do this with your kids sometimes, right? Uh, you, you, or, or let's, let's say it with your spouse. You're talking to the kids, but you're definitely hoping he hears. And you're like, we clean up after ourselves, don't we? And we never leave our dishes. Isn't that right, honey? Right? And, and he, and it's for the kids, but it's definitely for him too. So that's, that's the context for what we're about to read today. Some of you just got elbowed. You're like, my side is hurting from this person who just elbowed me. All right. Verse uh, one of chapter 23. Now Jesus turned to address his disciples along with the crowd that had gathered with them. The religion, uh, the religion scholars and Pharisees are competent teachers in God's law. You won't go wrong in following their teachings on Moses, but be careful about following them. They talk a good line, but they don't live it. They don't take into their hearts and live it out in their behavior. It's all spit and polish veneer. This is, uh, these are fighting words a little bit, right? And this is Jesus looking at them going, listen, what they have to say is truth, but the way in which they say it is oftentimes couched with some self-importance thing, this I feel better about myself when I tear you down. Later on, he would say, woe to you. You clean the outside of the cup, the inside's all dirty. You put loads on other people that you couldn't even bear yourselves. You make things incredibly difficult. You like joy in their pain, in their inability to live up to the standards that you don't even hold to yourself. So he's took, he's talking not to them at this point. He will talk to them and the, the woes to them. But at this point, he's talking to the people who are, who for the most part have been the victims of that kind of a life, who have been the victims their entire life of not measuring up and being reminded that they don't measure up, who have been treated like things and not people. And he, and he looks at them and he says, if it's possible somehow, if far be it, you know, if, if from it being kind of easy to do, but if you can manage it, somehow differentiate their message with their method. Because what they have to say is oftentimes true. 
and would be helpful and is part of Moses' law. And, and oftentimes, you know this, you've worked with people, it, the, 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 the message, the, the stuff is right. It's just the, the, the method is so bad. It distorts everything. And there are oftentimes things that we need to hear, truths that we need to hear, but because of who they come from, we write it all off. And the older that you get, the, realize, the more you realize, I can't do that all the time. I have to kind of discern what is the truth inside of that and somehow leave the rest of it out. Because when you're young, you just throw it all out because it's all just a, a game of, well, he's an idiot. What does he know, right? He might know something though. There might, need, there might be some truth into that. So he's, Jesus is encouraging his people going, listen, I know that they've been treating you like things and not people, but like there's some really good stuff in the laws that they know. And somehow you gotta be able to discern this. Instead of giving, verse four, instead of giving you God's laws, food and drink by which you can banquet on God, they package it in bundles of rules, loading you down like pack animals. They seem to take pleasure in watching you stagger under these loads and wouldn't think of lifting a finger to help. Now, I, I do want to mention at one point, this is an interpretation. This is called the message, message translation by a guy named Eugene Peterson. So this is very poetic in its language. I don't think that Jesus actually spoke like this. I think, the, um, I think that if you want to go like an actual verse or word for word translation, there are better translations to do this, but I'm going for the message of the point of it today. So just save your emails. All right. Their lives are perpetual fashion shows. Can you imagine Jesus saying, they're like fashion shows, guys. Um, embroidered prayer shawls one day and flowery prayers the next. They love to sit at the head table at church dinners, basking in the most prominent positions, preening in the radiance of public flattery, receiving honorary degrees and getting called doctor and reverend. Pastor Brent. Verse eight, <laughs> do not let, or don't let people do that to you. Put you on a pedestal like that. You all have a single teacher and you are all classmates. What's he, what's he saying here? What, what does this remind us of that we just read with this idea? It's this burden that we wait, that we carry with, the, with, with an immense amount of humility in this. Right? Lewis talks about like this is something, the, the glory of ourselves and the glory that is matched with the glory of others is something that cannot be born with like pride and ego. It is born with humility, massive amounts of this. We have a single teacher. We are all classmates. Don't set people up as experts over your life, letting them tell you what to do. Save that authority for God. Let him tell you what to do. No one else should carry the title of father. You only have one father and he's in heaven. And don't let people maneuver you into taking charge of them. There's only one life leader for you and them, Christ. And essentially he's setting the stage for them and, covertly trying to kind of assert his own authority and his own truth in this matter. But he's trying to say, there are going to be people in your life who may try and, and think that they operate with the best of intentions, but they're prioritizing things over people. They see you as someone to get to something, right? Come to my church so then I feel better about myself or these laws or live in these rules that I've established that I'm trying to hold myself to because... That's what I think it's going to be most important. They were confused about things and people. For them, there are people, and then there are things. Or perhaps a better way of reading, if this was true, and if that was the lens by which we looked at and operated in life, 
then perhaps Lewis's closing argument of the Weight of Glory essay would have read something a little bit differently, maybe something like this. There are only ordinary people. You only ever talk to mere mortals. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are the things that are immortal. These are the things that matter. And their existence is of utmost importance. But it is mortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. So I ask you, which one do you feel like culture? Can you leave that back up on the screen there for a second, Brian? Which one, which one of these quotes or versions of the quotes are you, is our culture more inclined to sort of make you feel is truth? And which one feels real? The idea that we're all just a number that we are, there are only ordinary people, right? And sometimes that's used to like, just calm yourself down. You're just an ordinary person, just like everybody else, right? Civilizations, nations, cultures, countries, flags. These are the most things that are most, are immortal and matter the most. Their existence is of utmost importance. But Jesus reminds us that there is an alternative way that he points us towards something greater, that we all, bear a burden and a weight of glory. That when we rub up against things that remind us that there are things worth living, it's because you've been imbued with this thing inside of you that is to reflect the creator God. That nothing else in creation stands even close to what you reflect. And not just, but, but not just you, but also the people around you. There are no ordinary people. And then as Lewis reminds us in closing, Next to the Blessed Sacrament, uh, that's, uh, that's as close as we can get. So I thought it would be appropriate in light of that to not only see and spot the differences between what that is, but to also then receive communion together to conclude our time and our series. This is what we do at the end of every series is we receive communion together as a family. Uh, we do this uh, in a couple of different ways. I'm going to invite our community team. They're going to get ready and go grab some supplies and head back down here. But um we do this as kind of uh, historically, uh, looking back, it's been one of the sacraments of the church, churches across denominations with lots of different things on their, what we believe lists, have received communion together to say, regardless of that, let's focus on the primary things. And this is what defines us. What defines us is that one time long ago, Jesus sat with his disciples, broke bread, poured a glass of wine for them and said, this is my body that's been broken for you, my blood that's going to be shed for you. They didn't understand at the time, but what it was, was a message that God loved his creation so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for us. And then he says, do this in remembrance of me. And so when Jesus tells you to do something, I, you just do it. That's what you do. You don't ask or whatever. You just go, okay, so we're going to receive communion because that's what he told us to do. Um, for what it looks like here, if you've never been a part of uh, East Lake communion before, we've got a couple of stations down in the front. Uh, they've got these little uh, plastic uh, juice things with the wafer on top. Possible to get up open that we're aware. Um, and uh, you have to just, you know, hope you didn't, hope you didn't clip your fingernails recently. That's all I got to say about that. Um, and uh, you can take that back to your seat. What we have tried to do recently is if you came with a family group or a people group or a friend group or whatever, sending one representative up to grab that and take that back uh, for everyone else, just grab however you may need. And then uh, be awesome. I don't, 
stand up here and be like, all right, everyone on three, we're going to lift it together. You get to do your own thing. We're going to have some um, text on the screens to kind of do some reflection time. Uh, everyone's invited to participate in communion, but no obligation whatsoever to, to do that. If, you're, if you want to pass and just reflect in your seat, that's totally fine. Uh, at the very end, Aubrey will have us all stand. We're going to lean one last song and uh, get us out of here. But uh, may we, uh, as we do this, may we be people who live with a high sense of the glory by which we were created. May we recognize um, the immortal nature of our being, which then lends itself to proper stewardship of virtues and vices, and that our time and how we spend it matters, and that we should operate with high levels of wisdom. And may we be the people who remember that we rub shoulders with all kinds of future gods and goddesses. We rub shoulders with people who uh, matter, that are loved by God, that um, that uh, whose souls will exist beyond the uh, beyond this veil of reality for us. And may that reflect and respond graciously in how we treat each other, marry each other, make promises to one another, uh, uh, hold ourselves accountable, speak truth, speak life, um, uh, love, uh, appreciate, um, inspire, correct, train, all of these things that it is of utmost importance. May we push hard against a culture or a world that says there are only ordinary people, that nations and arts and everything else, that's of utmost importance, that you are just a cog in the wheel because that is antithetical to what we see approached by Jesus. So may we be inspired to live differently. And may that lead us to believing that this is truly a beautiful life. Let's pray. Father, our prayer is that you would have these truths sink deeply into our souls, that it would be something that changes the way that we respond to uh, things that come up this week, uh, how we spend time with our family members uh, this week around the Thanksgiving dinner table as we share words of Thanksgiving for one another that mean something uh, and that we uh, we don't look forward to when they leave. I mean, maybe we do a little bit, but there's something about it that's like, but may we in those moments remember that this is just a small glimpse of uh, pointing us towards something that reminds us of something greater. And that you've done that. You leave these little breadcrumbs for us our entire life. And uh, we're so thankful. May we uh, understand what it is that makes up our beautiful life. Give us the wisdom to what that looks like and the courage to do something about it in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.